Hello, fellow true crime-obsessed humans. Welcome back to Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. I am Michelle, the Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. And at my feet, as always, is my co-host, Rory. Today, we are going to take a look at America's Unknown Child, or also known as the Boy in the Box. Sad story. Let's get started. Cue the music. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much that turned out for that first episode. I do appreciate the follows on any of my social medias and the ratings on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Amazon and Spotify now, which is pretty cool. Um, so check me out there if you don't have access to Apple Podcasts, which is where we were originally. Um, but everything is everywhere else now, too. So if you're interested, um, I'm really, really happy. I, I know that I'm just getting started with all of this still, but I'm really happy with how the first episode turned out. And boy, do I say, um, a lot. And I hope I edited them out as much as I could, but I didn't realize I was doing it until I was re-listening to it. And I was like, um, um, and it's funny because I use GarageBand and you can, the way the, the I don't know how to say it. It's the, like the, 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 uh, the, <laughs> like the the voice the 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 wave I could tell when I was saying um because I had I'd said it the same way every time so it was just really funny to see that because I could see that an um was upcoming and I was like Ugh. so I'd have to stop split cut it and everything so it was funny but I'm super happy with how it turned out I got some really cool feedback and I don't know it's just really exciting um I'm feeling really confident about this which is something I kind of struggle with but so I'm excited to have something and it's a new thing to really like look forward to every day um I just said um this is my this is my villain story this is my down down spiral everyone this is how it starts <laughs> um but th this is I'm recording this in 2022 so we are everybody's saying COVID's over. It's not over. We just in it for the rest of our lives, I think. Um, but, you know, in 2020, that was rough. 2021, rough. And I feel like this whole pandemic has really made it, I just feel like I'm in a rut. Obviously, you're really limited in things that you can do. Um, and I was trying to be very safe. My family was trying to be really safe. And we wanted to be safe for ourselves and for others, especially people that are um, oh, you can hear little dog. Hello, sir. Oh, big stretch. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what happens when I'm not paying attention to him directly. He can hear me talking. And generally, I'm on like phone calls for work. So it has to be something the way I say things like at the end of a, a conversation with someone or end, at the end of a call, because he will be in a dead ass sleep. Dead to the world, curl up in a blankie, living his best life, right? And it has to be the way I'm saying something or something. And he, sorry, he's being funny behind me. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to edit this out. It's, it's, this is like, I don't know what it is, but he will end up right next to me because he knows the phone call's ending. And that means that I can pay attention to him and take him outside. So it's just funny. So I wonder if that's what he could kind of hear because I started recording. I started talking and he was upstairs <laughs> and he just came downstairs. So that's funny. He's being funny. Um, hello, buddy. 
Oh, get some water. Okay, that's very loud. Okay, thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. Such a good boy, such a good boy. But <laughs> back to everything. So we were really trying to be really safe with everything with the, with COVID and everything. And uh, it was just rough. Oh, he's going to keep drinking. Yep. This is my life. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I felt like I kind of just got into a rut. I started a weight loss journey in July of 2021. I've had a lot of really good success with it and I'm pretty happy with it but it kind of got to the point which I think is important right because you have to be consistent when you're trying to lose weight you have to be really strict on yourself because you just have to put your mind to it right and my life just kind of started to feel like I was waking up I was doing my work from home because I, I currently work from home and we go into the office every once in a while uh, after work I go to the gym either with my trainer or without my trainer we'd work out for an hour to an hour and a half every day, I'd come home, I'd cook dinner or heat up dinner or do whatever, relax, play video games. That's all I was doing. And not that that was a bad thing. And I think that at certain points, it was really good for my mental health. But I also think that I was getting into like a rut. And I, when I started thinking about the podcast thing, I hadn't felt like that before in a long time, or at least like, I was like, wow, this is something I could really do something I could be passionate about, something that, I don't know, it's just like, I just feel like I hadn't been contributing to the greater good besides like getting my vaccines and boosted and being good and everything. <laughs> like I was doing those things for the greater good. But um, I just, I felt like I had, I, I was very really involved in college, doing lots of volunteering and donating and giving back and my donating my time because in college, Lord knows I didn't have no money to be doing nothing with. But I could always give back my time. And I feel like in today's world, as an adult, this is something that I can do to give back to my family, my friends, and just, I don't know, maybe just getting my voice out there, right? This is forever, right? Like, as long as Apple Podcasts exists, and I keep it up on their platform, it will always be there. And there's something really powerful about that for me to have my voice out there, which ironically, um, I have always hated my voice. Um, I've always felt that it wasn't very feminine, not that that matters, but it was something I've always been really self-conscious of. But when I tell you I listened back to that episode on Apple Podcasts, I was beaming. Like it got on Pop Apple Podcasts. I ran upstairs to my husband. I was like, look, 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 listen, listen, listen. And it was, I don't know, it was really it was really awesome. Like it makes me like I want to cry because it was just so it was like a really powerful moment. And I don't think I'll ever forget that moment for the rest of my life. And, you know, as far as contributing to the greater good is making a true crime podcast and talking about my dog necessarily contributing to the greater good. I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's really important that we discuss cases. There's a lot of podcasts out there. And I listen to all of them pretty much. Um, but I think that there's a way I can say them and I can bring awareness to them. I don't think you can like ever over report something, especially um, cold cases, because cold cases, these kinds of things, they get people thinking and talking about these cases. And I don't, I think one of the worst things really that can happen, especially with cold cases, is that people forget. And there's these, all these cases out here of people, John Doe's, Jane Doe's, they just don't have a name. And that's so sad because they were given one. 
They were given one. They were brought onto this earth and they had a name and it was stolen. And I want them to get their name back, even if it's 70 years ago. And that's kind of like a case that we're looking at today. A boy who doesn't have a name and it sounds like he had a really rough go for being just a little guy and it makes me really sad and we'll get into it a little bit more but he's really only known as of right now as the boy in the box or america's unknown child and he deserves to have his name back all right y'all this one this one hurts my heart a little bit because he was just a little guy and don't get me wrong right it's it's sad right when anybody dies very sad when they found him he was malnourished and blunt force trauma was his cause of death so just for a little guy he had gone through a lot so in 57 1957 that's when his body was uh, first discovered by like a young college kid in the area um and he said that he spotted a rabbit going into the underbrush in the area and he knew there's animal traps so he's just obviously trying to be a good animal lover and was going to try to save the animal but he found the body but he didn't say anything at first because he thought the body was a doll but he did end up calling authorities the next day because there was a disappearance of another another young child in the area but it did come out later that they kind of suspected this kid as a suspect because he, they are assuming he didn't actually immediately contact the law enforcement because he had been being a little peeping Tom and spying on girls at a nearby school, not actually chasing the rabbit when he found the boys. So I understand why they investigated him. It also came out also that a young uh, young kid had been in the area and he was checking some muskrat traps and he was afraid that the police was going to take his traps away so he didn't report what he found. And then it was a few days after that is when that, that college student and actually ended up finding the body. So when they found his body, he was wrapped up in a blanket. It was a, a plaid blanket. And he was found off, it was just off in the woods um, in Susquehanna Road, just in the in the Fox Chase area of Philadelphia. He was completely naked and he was in a cardboard box. Uh, it was like a, a box that would have a bassinet in it. And at the time, it, that that box or that bassinet had been sold by JCPenney. Um, they could tell that the boy had recently been washed and the hair... Like the hair had been chopped off. It was really bad, like really unprofessional. It was definitely not done at like a barber or anything. Um, and they think they might have been after the death of the child be or, the uh, you know, of the boy because there were still like hair on his body, like clumps of it, like on his body. And also, like I had mentioned, there were signs of malnutrition and some surgical scars like on his ankle and um, on, in his groin area. And then like he had like a, a scar on his chin that was like in the shape of an L. Um, so once the, the police got the report, they opened an investigation and the dead boy's fingerprints were taken. You know, in the 50s, they didn't have DNA yet. Really, all they could do was collect as much evidence as they could, do fingerprints and everything, but they didn't have much other than that. They were optimistic, the police were, at first, that he'd be identified, but nothing ever 
kind of happened. No one came forward with any kind of information about him. This case got a ton of media attention um, in Philadelphia and in Delaware Valley. The There's a, a paper in the Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Inquirer. They printed 400,000 flyers depicting what he looked like. They were sent out, posted all over the place. Um, and they were actually included with all of the gas bills. So that they were really trying to get this kid's face out there. They were committed to trying to get this kid's identity found. Um, they, they, they looked at the crime scene. They really combed it over. Um, and I mean, over and over again, there were 270 police recruits, like academy recruits. They it, they were just combing everything out. They found like a blue corduroy cap, a scarf, and then like a handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. But those clues really never led to anything. And after some time, the police, this is kind of bold in my opinion, they released a post-mortem photograph of the boy. Um, he was fully dressed in like a seated position and he looked like what he would look like maybe when he was alive. Um, and hopefully, you know, that would lead to some kind of clue. It didn't. The pictures are so sad. He, he was a cute looking kid. And, but you could tell that he was really malnourished and, and unfortunately had been beat really badly. There's a lot of interest, you know, publicly around this. But unfortunately, there's still no one knows. No, no one knows anything. It's still unsolved today after all these years. Um, the, the community, like I had said, were really invested in this. So they ended up, um, they ended up really giving him a really great burial after he had been exhumed. Cause they were, you know, as technology got better, they were like, Hey, we can get some enamel, uh, some DNA from his enamel from one of his teeth. Um, cause he had originally just been buried in, in a field. So when they exhumed him in 98, they got the DNA and they buried him in a cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia. It was, it's called Ivy Hill Cemetery. And they had donated a really large plot for him. In addition to the plot being donated by the cemetery, the coffin, the headstone, and the funeral service were donated by the son of the man that had originally buried the boy in 1957. Big public attendance and media coverage of the reburial um, and they, it says America's unknown child. And I mean, they keep to this day, keep the grave decorated with flowers and stuffed animals. So like with most cold cases, there's a lot of theories about what happened to this boy and they, they're all much different. They vary. So the first one is there was a foster, foster home nearby just a couple miles away from where the body was found and there there was this this employee of the medical examiner he pursued this case until he died in 1993 um he had contacted a psychic that was in new jersey um and that and they told the psychic told him to look for a house that matched the the foster home and the psychic then got brought into the Philadelphia Discovery site. And they led this employee, uh, his name was Remington Bistro, to the foster home. And they attended the estate sale for this foster home. And 
they discovered that there was actually a bassinet similar to the one sold at JCPenney. And if you remember, that was the box that the boy was found in. So he was found in a bassinet box. So that's like kind of like clue number one. The next clue was they found blankets there that were plaid blankets, like the one that he had been discovered wrapped up in. So this this employee, Bistro, believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter uh, of the man who had ran the foster home, but they got rid of the body because she would have had that baby in the 50s out of wedlock. And, you know, there was a lot of stigma about being an unwed mother back in the day. And they, you know, they theorized that his his death was an accident, which I'm a little sus of because if you malnourishing a kid and then they got blunt force trauma, it doesn't sound like an accident to me. So later in 98, they, uh, they were still, they're still, like I said, investigating this and the people that were in charge of the investigation, there's a guy named Tom Augustine and then... The Vidoc Society, it's a, it's a group of like retired policemen and profiles in that. They interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter whom he ended up marrying and nothing kind of came of it. So they ended up closing that investigation. Another theory that came up in 2002, in February of 2002, which is probably the one I think is probably the most probable was there was a woman uh, only identified in like police everything by Martha. Um, But they were troubled by her. Like the police were troubled by her testimony because she has a history of mental illness, which mental illness does not mean that you are not a credible, credible person. So that kind of, it kind of pisses me off that they never did anything about this. But she she claimed, Martha claimed that her abusive mother had purchased the boy, um, who she said her the boy's name was Jonathan, from his birth parents in 1954. And the boy, who was then, you know, subjected to some really bad physical and sexual abuse uh, for like two and a half years. So he, they thought that he was like between like four and seven, but it's hard to tell because malnourishment really impacts your body growth. So they maybe got him when he was just, I mean, really little. Right. And so apparently one night at dinner, he, he puked up his meal of baked beans. And then as abusive parents do, I guess they beat the crap out of him and they slammed his head against the floor. It just makes me so sad until he was semi unconscious. Um, after that, he was then given a bath and, um, which during that, the bath, he ended up dying and these details, right. They match information that was only known to the police because during his autopsy, the coroner had found that the boy's stomach contained some baked beans, like the remains of baked beans and his fingers were wrinkled. Like when you take a bath, like the little water wrinkliness. So, this is kind of why I feel like, like the police only knew this information. This girl is telling you this information and it just doesn't go anywhere. And it's very frustrating. So Martha continues to go on that the mother cut the boys. He had like longer hair. And be- remember, go back to 
the ki- the boy was found with like a really bad haircut um to and the, and she cut the hair right to try to like conceal his identity her mother forced martha to assist in du- uh dumping the body in the fox chase area where he was found and martha said that you know as they were preparing to like get the body out of the trunk of the car a man was driving by and kind of stopped and were asked like hey, are you guys good? Like, what's happening? And so the Martha's mom was like, hey, get in front of the car. You know, cover my license plate, essentially. And the mother essentially told the guy, like, we're good. Adios. Get out of here. And so he eventually was like, oh, hey, cool. Bye. And that also, that story also corroborated um, because there was a testimony given by a guy of a, like a witness after the body who said that the body had been placed in a previously discarded like uh, box that had been in that area. Like he saw that box in the area and then that boy was found in that box. So yeah, crazy. Um, so even though this, the Martha's like her statement is like very plausible, like, wow, this, there's so many things connecting it because they were unable, but like they were apparently unable to completely verify her story and neighbors of course little neighbors they can ruin everything sometimes they said that that during that time like she they lived by her there was no little boy there and you know they everything they just dismissed her her claims and as you know said they were ridiculous but if you think about it if they're abusing like her mom was abusing this little boy they probably and malnourishing him they probably she he boy wasn't outside like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that just, that's the thing that makes me really upset about this because I feel like there should have been more investigation into this because it sounds like it is truly the most plausible thing. All right. The next theory is there is a carnival worker in 1961. They, the investigators on the case uh, questioned a guy named Kenneth e. Dudley and his wife, Irene, and to see they didn't know if the boy in the box um, had been one of the middle-aged couple's 10 children. Um, he was Mr. Dudley or Keith Kenneth was a carnival worker. So they traveled up and down the East coast a lot because he was looking for work. And this family, the Dudleys came to the attention of the police when one of their kids died as a result of neglect, malnourishment and exposure. Um, and instead of, burying the kid's body in a cemetery they wrapped their daughter in a blanket and placed her outside in a wooded area in virginia and they investigated them and ultimately learned that seven of the dudley's 10 known children known had died as, as a result of malnourishment and neglect and none of them received a proper burial so that's kind of why they investigators were like ayo like this boy might be one of their kids because he didn't get a proper burial either. But they investigated them, um, kind of watched their movements and stuff. And or like they looked through movements during the time that the body, the body had found been found in 1957 and unfortunately determined, well, horrible parents and just the worst. They were not connected to this, the boy in the box. And it makes me very sad because there are people out here trying to have babies and that will like take care of them, me being one of them and they struggle. But then you got these mofos 
to having all these babies and then you're just neglecting them and not and not giving them the love that that makes me so mad so when i heard i read about that i was like what the hell like it makes me so mad and our last theory that we're gonna go through is there possibly him being a kidnapped child so on Halloween of 1955, just a couple years before they discovered the, bo- the body of the boy in the box, um, an unknown perpetrator had abducted a two- two-year-old boy and they took, the boy's name was Stephen Craig Damon, he blonde hair, blue eyes, and he was from New York, East Meadow, New York. They found, you know, because of the similar physical characteristics and possibly the same age, right? They couldn't determine boy in the box's age because of the malnourishment. Uh, So the investigators, you know, they followed up on the lead only to learn that he had actually, the boy, the little boy, Damon had, uh, or Stephen Damon had broken his arm prior to his disappearance. And the boy didn't appear to have any, like suffered that same fracture in his, when they did his autopsy and same like footprints didn't match. And so they kind of determined that it was probably not, Damon um he wasn't the boy in the box and then we'll get into it well they remember they took they exhumed him in 98 to get the 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 DNA and in the little in the early 2000s that's uh they compared the DNA of the boy in the box to the biological evidence um from Damon's sister and there was uh, unfortunately no link so that I mean that kind of everything as far as the theories I'm still kind of stuck on the Martha theory. I think that that is probably the most um, most plausible one. And um, Mr. Rory, my dog, also agrees. So clearly we're right. Some recent updates on this case. In 2016, they released a, like, a facial reconstruction of the victim. And then they added him into the database. And then also in 2021, so recently, just last year, they feel like right now um, they are like the closest to solving this case as ever. CBS Philly, they do, they started like a a series called Mysteries and they now have a DNA profile. You know, DNA technology is coming really, really far. So they now have a profile. So hopefully this can lead to finding a family member or, you know, just something to get this boy's name back because after all these years, the least that we can do is get this boy, his name back and close this case for once and for all. Well, unfortunately that's kind of all I have on this case. It's, it's still unsolved and I hope that someday they can get his, get some family, like a family member or something and get him, his name back because I really he really does deserve that after it sounds like he had a very rough short hard life so I do appreciate everyone tuning in today once again I'm very open I'm very thankful to everybody that checked out the latest episode that very first one that was really nice and very kind of all of you I'm still open to everybody's feedback any case or, or story suggestions I got about 20 episodes um planned out so far so but some of them I'm like starting to do research and I'm going to need like a lot more time to do some research because there's just like a lot of information out there or there's some like documentaries and stuff that I want to watch because I want to make sure that I'm bringing the best content to you all and making sure that I've done my research because 
when we're doing cases like this, I want to make sure that I'm doing it justice and because that's important to me. I want to be as well-versed in these things as possible. Um, so I appreciate, please subscribe, rate. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. And we're on Podbean. That's kind of where like I host my podcast and I do everything. And that feed goes to the other websites. I, I'm going to continue to do episodes on Sundays. Uh, check me out on my social media. Instagram is Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. Twitter is CO Dog Mom Podcast. TikTok, because we're super cool, is CO Dog Mom Podcast. Uh, should just be able to kind of search Crime Obsessed Dog Mom and find me uh, in the places that you find people. <laughs> and so stay tuned, you know, to, for next week. Stay true crime obsessed, love on your animals, and be kind to each other. I'll talk to you all next week.